0: Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com try. Go to shopify.com try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com try.
1: I don't think I told more than three people that I was even home. You know, I don't think I wasn't ready to tell people I wasn't ready to tell people that I might be done. You know, I wasn't ready to even say that I was released.
2: Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, I am joined by Justin Seeger, the 2013 Atlantic 10 Co-Player of the Year at UNC Charlotte, former 12th-round pick of the Mariners as a first baseman, and brother of Kyle and Corey Seeger. Justin is currently a product specialist for Blast Motion. He's working in baseball tech and working with pro ball players and how to fine tune their swings before contact. On this episode we get into a lot of how his career in baseball, specifically the off-season working in the cages with his brothers getting in the lab has kind of led him into what he's doing now. We also get into his college career and how he turned a walk-on spot at Charlotte. Into a really successful college career, we go into the mentality that you need to bring into being a walk-on. And we get to talk about what Selection Sunday is like for a team that's in the tourney but not hosting. That Charlotte team Kyle's freshman year had won the A-10 tourney, got to sit on Selection Sunday, figure out which regional they were going to go to. Uh, If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know how much I like hearing about college baseball stories. That was a a treat for me personally. Hope you all enjoyed as well. Justin also gets into his time in minor league baseball. While his brothers play premium defensive positions, Justin was a right handed hitting first baseman, and that's something that puts a lot of pressure on your bat. He gets into how that can affect your mindset on the box as you try to, to tap into what you need to do to make it to the big leagues. Of course, we also discuss growing up with two brothers who'd eventually be big leaguers, and he keys us in on the most competitive Seeger and the biggest bully in the Seeger household. It's a fun episode with Justin, really glad he could join episodes of Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you've been enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate, leave a five-star rating and a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know any guests we should chase down. Uh, All that feedback is very much appreciated and does help the show. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. If I am doing my math right, I think this might this is the last pod before minor league baseball season ends. BA has you covered on that, as well as the MOP playoffs, everything going on there. Uh, ben Badler and Carlos Colazo also have future projection up and running again after a brief hiatus. Always, you know, one of my favorite listens every week. So go tune into that, and it is always a good time to be subscribed to Baseball America. Uh, so with that, let's talk to Justin Seeger on today's episode of from Phenom to the Farm. All right, joining in for today's episode of from Phenom to the Farm, he was a 12th round pick of the Mariners out of the, in the 2013 draft out of Charlotte. It is Justin Seeger. Justin, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm
2: excited. Absolutely. I want to right away. I want to get into tell me about Blast Baseball, what you're doing right now, because what what you're doing now is going to factor into some of the stuff we talk about tonight.
1: Um, so I'm the MLB products for specialist. So I uh, deal with all the MLB clients that we have. Um, we work with almost everybody in some capacity. Um, so I'm kind of their, their point of contact. I, I help consult. I help train them. Um, I help get them up and running. Any questions they have, uh, any issues they have as well. Um, anything and everything Blast. So you know the sense. And for folks
2: who might not be familiar, describe what do you guys do at Blast.
1: Yeah, we um, are a data technology company. Um, we make a sensor that goes on the end of the bat that measures um, you know, a lot of very useful swing metrics. Uh, it's all pre-contact metrics, um, so it really tells you about the hitter and about the type of athlete and the the movement patterns and you know how explosive, how quick, how uh, fast twitch, how consistent they are. So it's uh, it's very very helpful information in a lot of teams really uh utilize
2: it awesome well we will we will touch on that and and your your career as far as training goes and how that's how that's developed you to where you are now let's go back to your upbringing uh talk about your your family growing up in your family was there any choice to be anything but a baseball player i know you played some basketball in high school but is baseball is is it a requirement uh growing (laughs) up in your family
1: uh you know what my parents were were amazing um they they absolutely let us do whatever we were passionate about. And uh, you know, I appreciate that from them. Um they definitely pushed the school first, which was also uh, appreciated. But uh yeah, we all kind of gravitated to to baseball pretty pretty quickly. Um, you know, funny enough, a lot of us uh, or all three of us played basketball and um you know, for the most part, basketball was was almost uh my favorite sport for a while. And, um, you know, I just kept coming back to baseball and I knew that that was what I was really good at. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it started probably when I could walk. You know, I don't know if I could swing a bat before I could walk. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, we we played in the backyard. We would uh, we'd go at it. Um, me and Corey are a lot closer in age. So it was always like Kyle was the designated pitcher and it was always me versus Corey. So I don't know if that was part of the reason we, we, uh, became so competitive and, and probably pushed each other, but, uh, it was always me and Corey going at it. And Kyle was, uh, Kyle was always kind of edging everybody on.
2: When did you decide that you wanted to make baseball your thing as far as playing at the next level, or at least being mainly a baseball player in high school?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Cause I, I stopped playing baseball for about a year, year and a half. Um because I just loved basketball, and you know I thought that I was a really good basketball player, and i you know I, I like to think I was okay, but uh just being away from baseball it just uh it almost kind of hurt me and i I felt uh like it was just kept calling me back so uh it it almost was good for me in a sense too because it kind of kind of refueled the fire and and uh you know drove my passion to to come back and keep working hard. And, um, you know, so that was about late middle school, early high school. So I was, I was really kind of fired up to get back into it. And, you know, kind of ever since then it was, that was, that's always been the passion.
2: And what are the pros and cons of having an older brother? Cause you said Kyle is significantly out of high school by the time you get into high school already, you know, playing at North Carolina, what are kind of the pros and cons of having an older brother who sets a very, a very high standard, of, of what would be expected from both you and Corey, as you, as you get into high school baseball.
1: Well, just in case he listens, you know, I'm going to say there weren't any cons, but, um, <laughs> but to be honest, no, there, there weren't many cons. There was a lot of positives. He was, he was always a inspiration first to be honest. Um, and then he was, you know, almost another coach, another teacher uh, as well. He, he helped me tremendously. he, um, gave me so much advice. Uh, I know he was, you know, very, very, very helpful in my growth as a player and, and as core and in Corey's growth as a player, he gave us a lot of really useful information. I think a lot of it was more the mindset and the approach and, you know, how to focus, uh, how to work hard, um, just keep working. And one of the best quotes that he actually gave me then Corey, and, and I know he, uh, I think Corey's probably mentioned this before in an interview or so, but he, um, he told us that, you know, no matter what level you're at, treat every level like you're the big leagues. No matter if you're in high school, no matter if you're in JV or varsity, or no matter if you're in, you know, rookie ball in the minors, treat every level like it's the big leagues. And, you know, that resonated a lot because it, it kind of keeps you in the moment, keeps you focused. You know, you work hard and you go about your work day to day not too much, not looking forward too much and and really focusing and working. And, you know, and I think that helped me a lot. And, you know, I know it's, it's helped Corey a lot too. So.
2: So when it came time to start thinking about college, thinking about the next level, how did, how did you land on Charlotte? What was your recruitment like? What made the difference as far as, as making that your school choice?
1: Also a very interesting question. So um, I was very different in the recruiting process than than my brothers we actually all three of us had very different paths Corey was was always Corey, and Corey was always bigger better just really good all the time <laughs> and then um um you know kyle not saying that kyle wasn't or i wasn't but kyle uh kyle was was a lot more recruited out of high school he was recruited by the mlb too and for the draft out of high school Decided to go to school. Just loved Chapel Hill and was, you know, was very bought in on on um, on the Tar Heels. Mine was a very different story. I was a first off, I was a peanut when I was a freshman sophomore in high school. I was about it was about five three, maybe a hundred pounds even into my sophomore year. So, um, so that was tough to 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 get a lot of eyes on me and to get
2: noticed. You and that. I were around the same size. Yeah. And I, I have your prayer, player profile up from Pro Bowl. We are no longer the same size.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's um uh, it was uh it was pretty interesting because uh they um I grew about nine inches after my sophomore summer. So in my sophomore summer into my junior year, I grew nine inches all that summer. Which was kind of a whirlwind obviously and then um, You know, I unfortunately got hurt my junior year. Um, I got hurt. I actually actually broke um, the L5 vertebrae. I I cracked it on both sides of the spinal cord, and I missed uh, a a whole year. I really was only uh, allowed to swing a bat the two days before our first game my senior year. Um, I was allowed to play basketball, so I finished. I got hurt in, in basketball season my junior year finished the season, didn't realize that I had a broken back. I thought it was muscular. And, um, so I kind of kept playing through it and I would sit out practices a lot and just play in the games. And fortunately my coach was, was, uh, accepting of that. And then I played in, I think three games, baseball games, my junior year where I was just unbearable. I like, I, I couldn't couldn't swing. I was just in so much pain. The rotation was what really hurt. And, um, so it kind of crushed me cause I had, you know, rekindled my flame for baseball. I was, I finally grew. I knew like people were going to start hopefully start looking at me and be interested in me. And, um,
2: and back when we were in high school, that junior year summer was the summer. Now it's like seventh grade spring is is when the colleges come started talking to kids. But exactly. back then it was that that summer was the big summer.
1: Exactly. So I was really excited and I, you know, unfortunately the, the problem, was that I was finally had grown and I was trying to uh, put on some weight and some size and you know be a little more of a prospect and and be interesting in in the eyes of scouts and um, so I unfortunately got hurt and came back like two days before my senior year was cleared to start swinging again I hadn't swung a bat since since I got hurt and uh, you know it was, it was pretty humbling pretty quickly because I I couldn't get a ball out of the infield I just had no strength and I had to wear a... A brace, or all day, twenty four seven around my waist. So like, I just had no core left, and um, hadn't swung a bat in a year, and um, it was a grind. But like, um, but luckily, I was able to kind of get back to to somewhat of the type of player I was. I didn't necessarily have the strength that I had, and then um, kind of had to recruit myself. So I got lucky enough to reach out to some coaches, and I played for you know a pretty good um, summer summer team and was on the roster before I got hurt and then was still able to play a little bit but um so that allowed me to kind of recruit myself a little bit and uh got lucky enough to have you know very few offers at the end but I still got a couple and Charlotte offered me a walk-on spot and I just loved the campus and I loved the program and and I just really wanted to be there and I knew it was a good baseball program and I had a chance to to go to the next level and um so like I went in as a walk-on, had to earn my spot. Fortunately got able to um uh, fortunately was able to play a lot my freshman year, did well, earned my spot, earned a scholarship, and and then you know, kind of the rest was history. So
2: mm-hmm. well when when you step into college, step in as a walk on, everyone takes to that that first fall differently there's different different adjustments for everyone whether you're a walk-on or whether you're the the top scholarship guy in the class what was the what was the biggest adjustment for you and how were you able to go from a walk-on to a guy who you know you you know you played in exactly half your team's games which for a freshman your walk-on is is huge very unlikely
1: yeah you know I um I believed in myself you know, and I think that's kind of first and foremost, I believed in myself. I knew I was a good ball player and I wanted to prove it. Um, you know, I knew that not a lot of people had the opportunity to scout me and I, you know, I wanted to show that, you know, maybe some people missed out or maybe, you know, like, um, not that I was only lucky to be at Charlotte, but, you know, Charlotte was fortunate to have me as well. Um, so I worked my tail off. Uh, I knew I was behind the eight ball a little bit and, um, I still was able to put on some weight and some strength my freshman year. Um, and, um, you know, I, I accepted that they might want me to move around a little bit and I st- started learning first base. Um, I was a shortstop in high school too. You know, I, all three of us went up in high school as shortstops and, you know, I, I wasn't, I guess the flightest of feet. So I, they, they knew I was going to end up probably on the corners and I did finally grow and put some weight on. So I guess that was eventual, but um So I learned first base and, you know, was fortunate enough to get some playing time and, and, um, you know, had some success and, and kind of had to grind my way. But, um, you know, I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't, not that I would have settled going anywhere else. That's by, by no means the case, but I wanted to push myself at a better program and gave myself the best opportunity.
2: So that freshman year, you guys are a 40 win team. Uh, You win the A-10 tournament, if I have that right. And so when it comes time for selection Sunday, you, you're in, you guys, you're, you know, you're going somewhere. What is, what's selection Sunday? Like when you're in, but you're not a host, you know, you know, you're just waiting to find out like, where's the flight.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's exciting no matter what, right? Like, you, you know, you're going to a regional and you know, that's what you're, you're most stoked about. And you see the projections and you know, you thinking, what if we go here and you know, blah, blah, blah. And to get thrown out to Arizona state was pretty wild. You know, like, um, after we heard where we were announced, we were excited to go out there and check it out and, you know, it was an amazing program. And, you know, they were saying how pretty much how stacked that regional was. So we were, um, you know, excited and nervous all at the same time. And, um, that was, I mean, that was, that was an amazing experience. I, uh, unfortunately fell short my junior year, but, um, would have loved to have gone back and and maybe see how far we could have gotten.
2: Well, you, as you head into your sophomore year, you're now you're on scholarship. You've you've been a you've been a guy at Charlotte. You're you're coming back. You're expecting playing time. But at that point, you you officially have two. Even to the casual baseball fan, have two notable brothers because Kyle's now in the big leagues. Corey has been a first round pick. Did when it came to the in game stuff, did you feel any of that noise around you? Did you feel like you you know you got team's best shot because that like I. I remember when I was in college, we had a Tuesday game against a school that had Mark Grudzelanek's nephew on it. And even like that, I mean, uh, the name Grudzelanek, like, you know, (laughs) the guy's got to be related to Mark Grudzelanek, but it's like, man, I got to get that guy out. So did, did you feel any of that, any of that noise feel like you got a little more undue attention than, than other guys because of that or any pressure?
1: I mean, it's, it's there to be honest, you know, it's, it's, it's always there. Um, But, you know, I, I felt honored. Right, and you know this. This isn't just you know my answer to you and like a podcast or an interview type question, but uh, this is the truth is that um, you know if I could be mentioned with 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 my brothers with Kyle and Corey, you know to me that's really good company. So if, if I'm in that conversation, then that I must be doing something something right as well. So I I always appreciated it, and I was definitely definitely there, definitely in the back of my mind. But you know to me it was to me it was an honor.
2: So that sophomore year is it's a tougher year for you on the field than your freshman year. It's a tougher year for the team, especially coming off that 41 season trip to regionals. How does that play out in the clubhouse? Does does it chalk up to maybe talent, maybe a younger team? Are there main things that that freshman year team had, uh, maybe mentally or just, you know, in general that the twenty twelve team might not have had? Like where does that where's that difference come in a in a college lineup?
1: It's a great question. You know, we 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 did have some upperclassmen. Uh, even fifth year guys, I think, um, my freshman year. So it could have been part of it, you know, absolutely. You know, I tried to, uh, you know, put a little too much pressure on myself and that was part of, part of the, you know, the issues that I had. Um, I was in and out of the lineup and up and down in the lineup and, um, you know, the mental side of it got to me a little bit. Um, and you know what, to be honest, again, talking to my brothers really helped me. Um, I kind of took the approach of after that year, you know, I still had some, some productivity and um, you know, I didn't necessarily have the greatest average and, you know, that sort of thing. But um, so I took the approach of, you know what, like I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm going to focus on, you know, making sure I get back in the lineup. Um, and I told uh, the coaches in, in our, meeting after that year because i was lucky enough to go up to the northwoods league in in green bay that summer and i had a really good year a really good summer but i told them before i left that um you know they asked you know how i thought of myself and what i thought moving forward you know kind of the end of the year conversations and we talked about how they thought you know i might be back in that like five six seventh slot And still playing most of the day or most of the games, but, you know, maybe in the DH first base role, kind of moving around again. And I said, you know, with all due respect, you know, I think I'm the best hitter in in our locker room. I think by far I'm the best hitter. I'm going to be in three hole and I'm going to lead the team in every offensive category. And again, that's not to toot my own horn, but, you know, fortunately enough, I went out there and I figured some things out that summer. I had a really good summer in Northwoods and um got a lot of attention that summer that which helped tremendously. And I came back my junior year and you know, I won um player of the year for the conference. So
2: I wanna talk about that summer though, because I haven't on this podcast haven't had a lot of chances to talk about the Northwoods League. I've heard heard great things and um, a lot of guys equate the Northwoods league to kind of a minor league baseball schedule. You're playing a ton of games. I know when we would send guys up there in school, a lot of times that you make it to the end of the playoffs, you're getting to school late. Like you're missing the first, you know, the first week of school. What was there something specific in that summer that you were able to build on and pull into that junior year? Or was it just, you know, a lot of A, Bs things click? Or did did you take something into that? Did you take to that schedule? Because the difference with that is you're playing kind of like minor league baseball. You're playing baseball almost every day.
1: No, you're absolutely right. It was it was exactly like minor league baseball. It got me prepped and ready for that, which was nice. But I didn't necessarily know that at the time. Um, you know, my brothers and I are really good. We like to think of ourselves as studiers of the game, and we like to think of ourselves as as um, you know trying to always find ways to improve. And, uh, you know, we, we take that to heart in our work and we take that to heart in our day-to-day day-to-day work as well. So what I did was I tried to make some adjustments, you know, I guess maybe the definitely like consistent ABs helped me Um, probably just a different scenery, talking to some different coaches, getting different perspectives from players, you know, that's always good and it helps you become more well-rounded, Put you know, different ideas together. And um, I utilized that. I utilized a lot of things my brothers were learning um, in pro ball. And uh, they, you know, that helped me a lot. And those consistent at bats, I was able to really kind of put together a good summer. Um, But it's a grind. The Northwoods is a grind. It gets you ready for the minor leagues. It's, it's the real deal. Um, And I had a, great time. I mean, I loved my host family. I loved Green Bay. You know, I had an absolute great time. I'm I'm I now call myself a, a little bit of a Packers fan just because I was up there and experienced it all and they're serious about their Packers, man. So it's um uh, it was a uh, it was an awesome
2: summer. I have never heard a bad word about the Northwoods League. But like you said, you roll into that junior year and it seems like pretty much right off the bat things start going really well for you. When how long into a season cuz college baseball is strange it goes it goes so fast you have your preseason and suddenly you're in conference play and by you know by you're in April before you know it how long into the season cuz you've you had that freshman year where you're playing half the games you're in and out same kind of thing sophomore year a little more struggle there how long into the season until you know like not only am I a mainstay am that guy I told the coaches I was going to be in the the meeting but like I'm having an awesome year. Like I could, if I keep this rolling, things are going to look good for me.
1: Yeah, man. You know, I think, um, believing in myself was big. Um, you know, my teammates believed in me. I think they, um, I had a really good team and I had a lot of friends that I'm still really close with on that team. And, um, you know, I think them kind of believing in me helped me as well. You know, like they, they trusted in me. They believed in me. That gave me a little more self-confidence Um, believed in myself a lot more than I had in previous years. I knew I could do it. And I'd proved it that summer against really good competition in the Northwoods. And, you know, and I just, you know, I had a, I told myself kind of like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be the best hitter on the team. So I took that to heart. And I think guys kind of rallied around me um, knowing that, you know, it wasn't just words. I was putting it into action. And I think I just had a really group, a good group of guys around me. And they helped me kind of stay on track and, um, we were just having fun, man. I was locked in. I was, I was having a really good year, but I was enjoying being with my friends and we were grinding together and we were out there having fun and we were winning games and it was, it was exciting.
2: How happy are you that you never have to swing those dead bats against those high seam balls again, the ultimate dead ball college baseball era. Man, I was there
1: at that worst time possible.
2: I that I I was a pitcher in that era, so Jake, no. uh, and I already wasn't very good. I needed those I needed those dead balls, but it was pretty much like Chris Bryant was the only one who could who could hit dingers in that era.
1: Well, I guess it was it was almost good because I had a boatload of doubles, but I guess uh you know it would have been nice if some of those were homers and that would have helped a little bit. But
2: walk me through draft day of that year because by then your you guys' season was over at that point. You had, you had lost in the A ten tournament, so you're just kind of sitting around waiting. That
1: was tough. Yeah. We um we were actually hosting the tournament that year too. And we had a really good team. And we and when, you know, to be honest, we probably had the best team in the league. And you know, we we gave it up in the championship. We we were we came through the winners bracket. The team beat us to come through the losers bracket. They had to beat us twice on Sunday to win it and they did, you know, like you know, unfortunately we we couldn't uh we couldn't seal the deal, but we had a really good team and um so that was that was a hard pill to swallow. Um, but draft day is just something else. It's just, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, I, um, I was talking to my advisor at the time and, you know, we had, uh, conversations and was seeing like, um, you know, where I might go. There were a few conversations around maybe bumping up and, um, you know, utilizing kind of the, um, the, the allotted, Uh, money for the first 10 rounds that was that was kind of the the thing around my draft as well so there was a couple couple conversations on the first second day too so um it was kind of a whirlwind couple days because I didn't know when I would go I had an idea of when I would kind of go but um like I said there was conversations you might jump up and we might uh you know get you real early to to utilize some cap space and things like that so it was crazy, but you know, once I got the call, that's just it can't explain that feeling. It was just unbelievable, just pure joy. I was so excited, you know, like I'd worked so long for that. I had a lot of a lot of ups, but a lot of downs too, with the injury, with the tough tough sophomore year, you know, just different things. And you know, to to see the your work come to fruition and and you get that opportunity, it was. It was special. I mean, I don't know how else to say
2: it. (laughs) So you had another year of eligibility and unlike a lot of guys, you had probably as good an insight as to what minor league baseball is like as anyone. You had two guys. You could ask about what that lifestyle is like. What for you was the reason that you decided to forego that, that year, you probably got paid more than you would have as a senior, just because no one gives seniors money pretty much. But what about, you know, what convinced you to forego that last year at Charlotte?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. You know, you know, you don't have a whole lot of negotiation power once you go back to your senior year. I was definitely part of it. Um, And I got a, I got a really good opportunity uh, with Seattle and my advisor did a great job, but um, you know, at the same time, I also did have a ton of insight on the, on the minor leagues and on the professional side. So I knew that if you're a, you're a three year college guy and you have experience and you're successful, you get, you get some opportunities because they know you've kind of proven yourself. Um, When you're a high school guy, like my brother, I knew that they're going to slowly ramp you up, even though you might be the guy that they want and you might be the guy of the future, you know, it's a little bit slower process. Um, So I knew if I waited another year, I was a year older, that only kind of hurts you. Um, You know, the money side was a little bit of a factor, but I knew if I got in there, when I was successful I had a really good opportunity to 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 you know progress throughout the minors and and uh hopefully get a
2: shot so you sign early enough that you're able to pretty much get right into it you go right to short season you get in 61 games that's a long year of college starting in like february marchish all the way down to you know, 61 games of pro ball. How did your body hold it? Is there any way to prepare for that, that first glimpse at minor league baseball? I mean, you'd had the Northwoods the year before, so kind of similar thing there, but how did your body feel after that first summer of pro ball?
1: Yeah. You know, it, uh, that was definitely a big shock. You know, the, the training staff and the minors and professional baseball is, is really good. Um, you know, a lot of the times they want to make sure you're, you're on the safe side and make sure you're good to go and you're ready to play every day. And, you know, not necessarily try to push you too much and then they know it's your first year. So they're a little more on the safe side. Right. Um, what I did learn was that I wanted to be a lot more prepared for my body to, to last for a full season. So when I went back to, um, the off season and went into next year that I knew that I needed to be prepared and I knew that I wanted to do things a little bit different throughout the year. Um, so I, I, I definitely faded a little bit, uh, physically that first year because it's a lot of games you you're absolutely not used to it you you really don't know the grind until you get into it it's you know it's easy to talk about and tell stories and and kind of go into it but it's a whole lot different when you're actually there and you're on bus trips you know all through the night you're sleeping in a you know you're sleeping on the floor of a bus or you're sleeping in a one-seater sharing you know sharing a bus seat with a guy and you're trying to get some sleep and you get in at you know, 9, 10 in the morning at the next facility. And you got to be at the field at 4 or 5 to play again. So, like, all those things, man, they start to wear on you. It's not just the games. It's it's everything in between. And, you know, guys don't show up at 7 o'clock for the games. You know, you're there at, like, 1, 2 in the afternoon, and you're there till midnight or even later. So
2: I'm a big food guy, so I'm always interested to hear how guys adapt to the, the food aspect of, of the minor leagues. Because in college, you know, you've got you got those nice dining halls. Um, I've been to Charlotte. Charlotte's a wonderful city. A lot of good a lot of good options. What is life like up in up in Everett and, you know, in Bakersfield and Clinton and like how, you know, my, minor leagues are not noted for being a foodie's paradise.
1: That's that's exactly right, man. I've got some. I've got some horror stories on some food, uh, experiences. We, um, I I absolutely loved my time in Everett. I, I mean, I couldn't have had a better summer at the team that I played with the guys that I met. I'm still friends with probably 75% of that team. Um, it it was just an amazing experience, but there was, there was days where, you know, you would get the only thing on the spread is PB and J's and I love PB and J's, but I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've had millions of PB&Js now through through the minor leagues where you have to just take a gallon of water, take a bite and just chug as much water just to wash that thing down because you feel like it's just chalk that you've, you've had the same thing for the last, you know, 97 meals and you're just choking them down. But um, even had experiences where we had um, – the slices of ham counted because even though it was ham and you got the, the specialty of, of the month where you got ham sandwiches, instead of PB and J's, the ham slices were counted for you that you couldn't exceed a certain amount. And that was, that was all you got. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a culture shock. That's for sure.
2: So what were your off seasons like, especially, so your first year is 2013 you go into that off season, uh, tech was starting to come into baseball, you know, the, the, this kind of new age of development, but that's like six iPhones ago. Uh, what was your training? I'd imagine you had some good off-season training partners, but as far as what, how you went about your development, um, you know, working on your swing and stuff, what were the off-seasons like early in your, in your pro ball career?
1: Yeah, off-seasons were were a great time because I got to spend a lot of time with my brothers and we really went into the lab and we really dove into our work and we really tried to figure out, all right, we need to clean some things up. We learned a lot from each other. The really nice part was, you know, there's three of us and, um, you know, one could flip, one could hit and one could watch and we could, we could take video of each other. We could really focus in on, um, mechanics we could watch each other's cues and we really got in nitty-gritty so I mean the off seasons were huge um you know I had a few opportunities to go play in some different leagues and in, in the winter and you know to me like it could have been helpful and it could have been really beneficial but that experience getting into the lab with my brothers and stuff was was to me just outweighed everything and and I felt really really good after off seasons sometimes it was hard for me to maintain some of the adjustments throughout the year. But, you know, I think, unfortunately for me, it clicked a little late, um, kind of, you know, maybe after my window was up a little bit, um, you know, that's that, that kind of happens. Right. But I think, uh, you know, the chances of us getting together or the ability of us to get together and work together, was extremely beneficial for me and the nice part was we had our own um you know bp thrower every year and uh you know our dad threw bp to all three of us every year so that um that was nice having your own personalized bp thrower and you know and again when it's your father you guys it's a it's a special moment when the three boys and the dad get to hang out and you're you know all three professional baseball players working on your craft and and spending family time. So it was, it was really nice. And at the same time, it was really beneficial for
2: me too. You talk about working on the swing. You went into pro ball as a right-handed first baseman, which puts a ton of pressure on your bat, the ability to produce your brother, especially Corey, Corey plays a premium position. Um, Kyle, you know, great third baseman with that, that extra pressure on you as a right-handed hitter, what, how were you shaping yourself like what were you i mean cuz you know as well as anyone what it takes to get to the big leagues what was your kind of plan for okay this is how i'm going to you know get to that production level man I love it. you're hitting
1: you're hitting all the good questions man this is this is good stuff been
2: doing this for a while
1: yeah that's right that's right it shows it shows no we um that's exactly right you know i was um uh, you know i came up as a middle infielder Started learning first base. I even had to play left field my junior year because we had so many injuries and uh, moved around a little bit. But as long as I was in the lineup hitting third, I didn't really care where I was playing. But, um, um, yeah, that's exactly what happened. You know, I I tried to, um, you know, part of me was making some adjustments and I was trying to make sure that I was producing runs because I knew that's, especially as a right-handed first baseman, that's what gets you to the big leagues. So I, I had power in me. And I tried to get every ounce of power out of me, um, you know, and sometimes that's that I went. I might have gone a little too far early on in my career. And that hurt me. Um, you know, I had a slow, uh, I had a slow year in Clinton. And then, you know, it hurt me a little bit in, in um, Bakersfield my first year. And I kind of figured some things out after that year. And um, even though I wasn't the everyday starter after that, I was the platoon, kind of a platoon guy first and third DH Um, I was still getting some at-bats not as much as I would have liked but I was in the lineup a decent amount still and I was able to um, I was able to produce and I the power kind of came and you know was a little more natural instead of forced and um, you know unfortunately you kind of only sometimes learn that by trial by fire but um, you know I was able to get there and that's kind of what I mean where maybe it was a little too late Uh, but at the same time you know, I really got to a good place and I felt really good. So, uh, you know, we were always kind of trying to critique and tink and, and work on things. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I tried to tried to make sure I got as much power out of me as I could.
2: I want to talk about Clinton because Clinton and past episodes of this podcast has been, um, has been brought up a few times of guys who have run through there, the smell in Clinton the the dog food so i went to uh i went to school in west texas i went to school in odessa which is oil country It smells like sulfur so you get about 45 minutes out and you can start you can start whiffing it um you know you you were in the texas league for a little bit you might have you might have run through midland smelled that yep after after a couple days like after a couple you know week or so after you know you're back in campus for a week you don't notice it anymore don't notice it until you leave is that what life is like in clinton or is that just hanging on you
1: I wish man it is not the case. It, that, uh, especially on days the wind was blowing in the opposite direction, man, that would come across the field and <laughs> you could almost see it. The wave go across the whole stands and everybody all got a whiff at the same time. That was, that was, uh, that was interesting. Clinton, Clinton's a, Clinton's a special place. That's for sure. The other, well, we st- got
2: another thing about Clinton. Uh, so I, I, I emailed you about this before we recorded, but, uh, you need to walk me through. How much do you remember about the game from May seventh, twenty fourteen?
1: It was a good day. That was a really good day. I remember that pretty well, actually.
2: So when, um, when you go when your team when you go down seventeen to one, <laughs> and minor league baseball is more about development than winning. So that's like that's not a that's not a conference game or anything. On like that's not like a Saturday night where you're trying to you're trying to win in conference. Seventeen to one. How is it not like let's let the pitchers hit, like I'm gonna try to hit left-handed today, see what happens. How walk me through the, that process of how this game ended up 20 to 17.
1: Yeah, man, you got uh you got 140 games in the minor leagues, and when you're in Clinton, those those 140 games drag out to feel like about maybe 340 games, right? So <laughs> uh, you know, if you probably ask me any other day besides that day if you would have been checked out, we have been like, all right, let's go back to the hotel. I'm going to go get some sleep. Like we'll see tomorrow. No, hopefully we got it. You know, hopefully we got a better matchup tomorrow and we'll see what happens. But oddly enough that day in the dugout, you know, maybe the bullpen was a little different they kind of got beat up a little bit early on, unfortunately, but uh, in the dugout, the hitters, there was kind of a feeling, you know, and I know this kind of sounds crazy, but, there was kind of a feeling like, man, we we we're, we're swinging it pretty good. Like we feel good. We had guys on base the first couple innings, even though we only I think we only had one run through three or four maybe. Um, we felt good and we we're putting up good abs. We had guys on base and um, you know, we kind of were just like, you know what, you know this this game's kind of out. I'm gonna get my good at bats in and I'm gonna you know try to get a couple knocks for myself and go back to the hotel at least somewhat happy and um. You know, it kind of kept snowballing. You know, everybody was like, man, like, we just scored another four, four runs or we scored another six runs or, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, let's, let's keep doing it, see what happens. And then, you know, you get to the late innings. And I think we hit uh, a grand slam in the ninth to tie it up, to send it to extras. And, you know, just like once that happened, we're like, man, this is destined. Like, we're not losing this game. And uh, it was it was pretty wild. It kind of felt like that from, from the beginning, oddly enough.
2: Yeah, that is a for the folks keeping score at home, that is a 16 run comeback. You guys end up winning 20 to 17. If that's a if that was a getaway day, do you think that game ends probably 17 to one? <laughs> that's that's
1: <laughs> very accurate, probably, yes.
2: So you're um you have that season in Clinton, then you you move up to Bakersfield, and like you said, that first year kind of a struggle. Um definitely probably not you, you know, not what you want. Cal league leads to a, a long hot summer there's likely no, I would imagine no shortage of tips on how to get, I'm sure you've got, you know, you've got your brothers, you've got hitting coach, you know, on the team, you've got other guys. How do you, like when things aren't clicking at the plate, what is the day-to-day like? Like what's the mentality in the cage? What's the strategy in the box? Were you a guy who was always kind of tinkering, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to make this adjustment. We're going to see what this does and looking for something. Or was it just like, I'm trying to stay, with what I've got and hopefully things start falling my way. Kind of how do you go about that when, especially when there's a lot of pressure on you to produce, you know, how, how do you mentally take that in?
1: Yeah. I think we already touched on two points about it. You know, like, um, especially when you go to the Cal league, everybody says how, you know, how well the ball flies and you know, you're going to hit 40 homers and you know, blah, blah, blah. It's it's weighted homers though. So it doesn't really count. So you're like expecting, I'm going to just go out and hit all these homers. And again, as a right-handed first baseman, I know I got to drive the ball and I got to drive in runs and I know I got to hit some homers. So that was part of it. You know, I, I tried to do too much um, and I tried to get out of myself a little bit and it, and it didn't work for me. So, um, you know, and then the other side, like you said, is uh, all three of us, but I would say my older brother and myself, we're definitely like very uh we liked to tinker quite a bit and you know the the joke of me and Corey would tell Kyle is you know every off season he'd look really good and then by you know a week or two weeks into the season he's got a different swing and then the next two weeks he's got a different swing but it works for him but um (laughs) but I would do the same thing you know I would tinker and I would try to figure it out I would try to get that feeling that I had in the off season when I felt really good with my brothers and sometimes it was hard for me to get back to that and I couldn't find it. And, um, you know, after that year, uh, you know, for whatever reason, something finally clicked and I started getting the feeling and I, I could reproduce it myself without necessarily having them to be there to see what was going on. And, uh, you know, that was that was really, really big for me because, you know, I started to lose a little confidence again. And I was like, man, like. Am I just doing too much? Am I outmashed? What am I doing? You know, like I feel like I still belong, but what's, what's going on. And um, when you can trust your swing and you can trust the, you know, the mechanics and when you feel really comfortable, that's a game changer when you step in the box. Cause especially if you don't have to think about those things and you just go in there and you, you're locked in on the pitcher, you're locked in on the ball, you're looking at pitches, you're looking at the sequences, you're looking at the situation. That's a very, very good feeling. And that's a very freeing feeling when you don't think, you don't have to think, man, I need to make sure I get, you know, my elbow in slot, I need to make sure my hip fires first, or I need to make sure, you know, whatever the case is, any and all of the mechanical things you could think of, if that's the things that's going through your head, and you're in the box, and you're already in trouble, right? So, unfortunately, the first year in Bakersfield, that was the case. My second year in Bakersfield, I felt really comfortable, and, um, you know, I made some really good adjustments, and I could start to feel it myself and I could repeat it. And I knew if I was getting away from it or when I wasn't. Um, and I think I have, uh, I think I had 14 homers that year. So if I had a full season, I'd be about 30 homers in, you know, somewhere around there, maybe um, somewhere around a hundred or, or more RBIs projected to do like a full season of at-bats. And, um, you know, I felt like I was really producing. I felt like I was figuring it out. I was coming into my own and even my outs were hard outs or productive outs, and I felt like I was putting together good at-bats, and I was finally feeling like I was um, progressing and ready to move on, and I think timing, I think I got behind the eight ball a little bit, and, you know, just how baseball works. I was lucky enough to get promoted, and I was really excited to go to A that year, and I was really excited to prove myself, because, like, again, I thought I'd finally kind of clicked and figured it out. Um, but we had the new regime come in, the new ownership. That was part of the problem. They ha- they um, signed a bunch of fringe guys that kind of clogged up the minor leagues a little bit. So I unfortunately wasn't getting a ton of at-bats when I got to double-A. Um, when I did get in there, I felt good. I was hitting the ball well, hitting the ball hard. Um, you know, maybe not always getting hits, but I was, I was lining out. I was hitting good at-bats. Um I think I was up I think I was up to like um maybe the 270 280 range before before my last game where I think I went like over 5 with a couple lineouts where I still felt really good and I kind of dropped my app my average pretty quickly when you only have like 30 at bats <laughs> but um but I felt really good and you know like again just the timing and opportunities that kind of run out and you know, it was, it was, um, just a combination of things, but,
2: um, Well, the Mariners release you July of 2017. What are the logistics of a mid season release for a minor leaguer? Were you, were like, were you locked into a lease or something? Like what is that's, you know, when, when they cut you loose, what is, what's the fallout for you on the player side?
1: Yeah. You know what the the Mariners treated me, extremely well um I was very appreciative of how they handled it they practically gave me the option you know they kind of they pretty much told me like hey we we love the type of person you are we love the work ethic you have we love the knowledge you have we love you know how what you kind of bring to the table and what you bring to the team and and organization and they essentially offered me a job if I felt like I was done playing baseball Um, and at the time I felt really good about the adjustments that I had. And I thought, you know, like I think I've kind of figured it out. And if I just get an opportunity that I think I have uh, I think I still have a chance to make it. So all that kind of hit me at once. And uh, you know, I decided to ask for my release instead of them actually just saying, Hey, pack your bags and go home. you know, I was fortunate enough to to almost have an option and um, I still wanted to play because I think I still had uh, a chance. And the problem with that is, like you said, middle of the year, it is extremely difficult to get picked up by a team, especially when you're in double A and, you know, you're not going to necessarily go down when you're 25. I think I was, you're not going to necessarily go down to like a ball at 25. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to sign middle of the year, find a infi- a corner infielder the middle of the year at double A, right? So it's very hard to find that perfect fit. And I almost signed with a team or two. Um, but I said, you know what, I'm going to go back. I'm going to start. Um, I still had school left, like you said. So I'm going to start a semester. I'm going to keep training. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get picked up in the offseason and, and give it another shot. So that kind of led me into blasts and it kind of snowballed from there. And, um, you know, part of me was, part of me was, um, kind of struggling with the whole lifestyle and, you know, not getting the opportunities. And, you know, unfortunately that last year in AA, I had, I think 40 at bats at all-star break. And, you know, I kind of was just, unfortunately kind of just there watching the games. I had great seats. I was in the dugout watching every game, but
2: best seats in the stadium.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I felt like I was kind of just sitting there and kind of wasting, wasting away. Um, so that was hard. But um, you know, like that kind of gave me That kind of lost a little bit of the love and passion of the game, unfortunately. And you know, that was part of my reason, um, part of my decision to kind of hang them up and say, you know what, I think I'm okay, and I'm gonna move on and I'm happy with what I accomplished, and um, kind of see what what uh, life brings me next.
2: How long after your release did it, like, how long did it take you to make that decision to say, I'm, I'm done. I'm moving into the next thing.
1: Oh, it took me a while, man. I, uh, I don't think I told more than three people that I was even home. You know, I don't think I wasn't ready to tell people I wasn't ready to tell people that I might be done. You know, I wasn't ready to even say that I was released, you know, even though luckily I kind of had the option and I kind of asked for it. Um, that's tough you know I I don't know if that's ego or, or what that is but there's you know there's something something to being a you know a baseball player for so long and that's your passion and that's your dream and and knowing you're at a really high level and knowing you know you that you did what you did it's hard to kind of just move on and accept it and give it up and you know whatever the case is so it took me a little while um
2: what were the conversations with your brothers like about if you should keep it up about retirement, what you should do next? Because at that time, Kyle, by that time, Kyle's gotten a big contract. He's going to be playing for a while. Corey, you know, probably, you know, at that point, sky's the limit. What did you come to them with? And what was, what were those conversations like? Cause I'd, I'd be surprised if you made that decision without consulting them on their opinion.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure they probably didn't know what to say at first, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they would, uh, what was going through their head, but yeah, I absolutely leaned on them. I uh, leaned on my parents. Uh, you know, I, I knew, I knew deep down that I, I thought at least deep down that if I had an opportunity that I think I still had a chance to make it right. And I mean like, you know, a, a legit opportunity and I was getting some A and getting some time. I think I had a chance at 25 at middle of the year at waiting for spring training. You know, there's a lot of variables that go into that and it makes it really tough and the lifestyle's tough, And, you know, all those things come into play. I think they both wanted me to be happy, right? I think my parents wanted me to be happy. Um, like I said, I was, I was struggling a little bit, um, just emotionally going through all those things, you know, with, without being able to play, not even me and on the field to try to even make a difference. But, um, you know, I think they both believed in me as well. I think they had seen like the adjustments and the changes that I had made. And I think, um, um, you know, maybe we need to ask them if they thought I actually had it in me or not, but, um, they were extremely supportive. You know, like I said, I think it comes down to, they wanted me to be happy. You know, I think, um, well, my parents are really good at it. And my dad's kind of famous for saying, um, you know, he's more proud of, the guys that we are rather than the baseball players. And I think my brothers kind of felt the same way that they wanted to, you know, they wanted me to be happy. And they kind of knew that it didn't necessarily matter if I was playing baseball or what I was doing that, you know, that I would be uh, successful.
2: So. so if you could go back and talk to your 21 year old self, like right after draft day about life in the minor leagues, give advice, whatever it may be. What, what would that pep talk look like?
1: That's a good question. I don't think I really would have done much different, man. You know, to be honest, I, I think I, I worked my tail off. I think I grinded. I think, you know, maybe I, um, not necessarily went down a different, a wrong path, but what I tried to accomplish early on in my career versus what I tried to accomplish later on in my career and what actually kind of clicked. Obviously I would have told myself to do those things earlier, but, um, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I don't think, I don't think I would have done anything different. Even looking back, I think at the time I did exactly what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I worked my tail off. I tried to be a good person. I tried to be a good teammate. Um, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's all I can control. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily have changed anything.
2: And how has your career, your playing experience impacted how you're able to, communicate with players about what you do with with blast like kind of what is your what's your long-term goal there and how is your your playing experience helped you beyond your playing career.
1: Yeah, I think for the most part it gives me some validity to what I say. You know, I think it it doesn't sound like BS if it comes from me a little bit, you know, and um knowing my pedigree, knowing my family uh and knowing, you know, my experiences from playing. I think you know what and to be honest, I think a lot of it um, comes from the fact that I struggled multiple times in my career. I struggled at many stages of my career too, you know, being in, in high school when I got hurt, being in college, going through the sophomore year, doing those things. Um, and then in pro ball, I think, um, I learned a lot. And I learned a lot of, uh, you know, how to face adversity and, and how to, uh, how to kind of work hard and fight through those things and, and stay focused and driven and passionate and, um, you know, to me that, that means a lot to me. Um, you know, I think that's kind of, that's kind of what's been beneficial when I, when I relay some information to organizations, when I talk to them or players, when I talk to them, or I, you know, I go in on a lot of conversations with colleges and, and bigger programs and bigger deals with Blast. I think, um, that experience and the knowledge that I've gained from playing, and the knowledge and experience that I've gained from working with BLAST, I think the combination of those two, uh, you know, make, make it extremely beneficial to, to kind of give some feedback and, and, and help people. And that's what I like to do. I like to help people. And I like to, to help people get better. I like to help people learn. I like to help people understand. So, you know, I like to, well, I like to see where it goes. Uh, I just want to try to get as much experience and soak up as much knowledge and and, um, maybe some connections and stuff along the way too. And, uh, and kind of see where it goes.
2: I got a little rapid fire for you and then I'll let you get out of here. Okay, let's do it. Favorite minor league ballpark.
1: Um, in the Texas league, the Frisco, Frisco rough
2: riders Oh, met my wife at that, that ballpark. There you go. Shout out, uh, shout out wife. Least, least favorite or first date, but did, didn't meet there, but it was first date. <laughs> least favorite minor league ballpark. Unfortunately, probably Clinton clinton shouts i think clinton is probably the leader in the club yeah. in that category on <laughs> this podcast best pitcher you ever faced uh alex reyes with the cardinals throws throws gas yeah. favorite home run you've ever hit
1: um i was the last home run regular season home run in bakersfield blaze history
2: that is a, that is awesome that is a
1: you're was, a footnote, man. I was also unfortunately the last regular season losing pitcher in Bakersfield Blaze history, too. So there's a little fun fact for you.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of fun, though. That's 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 gonna last forever. There you go. Uh, okay, I got some. I got some Seeger Brothers related rapid fire. Who's the most competitive? At at anything? I'm talking checkers, board games, whatever.
1: You're probably talking to them. Probably me. Who's
2: the strongest?
1: Not to, to Mount Horn, but probably me as well. Actually, I guess it depends on what you ask. If if we're talking, like, lower body, Kyle's got some tree trunks. He's uh, he's pretty strong in the bottom half.
2: <laughs> well, he's got dad strength. It's true. Who of you and Corey, who's the more fun uncle?
1: Ooh, depends on which, uh, which kid you're talking to. Corey... Uh, Corey's super close with the girls. He, he loves hanging with the girls and me and crew got a really good bond. So I guess it depends on which one of them you talk to.
2: You guys go out to dinner. Who has to pick up the check?
1: Oh, we make Kyle for sure. He's the older brother, you know, all that good stuff.
2: Who picked on Corey more? You or Kyle?
1: Absolutely me. But Kyle, <laughs> Kyle was the king of egging us both on. That's for sure.
2: Okay. Th- this one is just, I asked this to everyone. What's your, you got a nightmare bus ride story from the minors.
1: Um, yeah, I got a couple good ones. We, uh, you
2: can let them all fly.
1: Yeah. We, um, so I was the king of couldn't sleep on the bus, like still the king of that. Like I I can't sleep on plane, can't sleep on bus. The only way I could, that's a tough life. Oh man. Talk about a bad combination. But, uh, the only way that I could is, is if I was able to lay down on the ground, which you're on a bus full of minor league players, pretty gross, right? I would lay down on a bus used to get stomped on all the time. People would try to crawl over you and slip and fall and just smoky mid sleep. Like it was awful. Right. We had a, um, I can't remember exactly how long it was. It was in the teens of hours. I want to say like 13 hour trip. And that's probably a little excessive. That's kind of the, was
2: that a Texas league trip? That
1: was Everett to Boise oh. in, in uh, short season. It's probably a little bit of like, you know, the, how big the fish you caught was kind of a story (laughs) a little bit, but we had a, I want to say it was like 13 hour bus trip. We had a long game before, you know, minor league games are slow. Right. So we had a long game before Everett drive after the game, 13 hours, get in in the morning in Boise, Idaho. Right. So that's not necessarily the greatest, uh, hop in exciting town to be in either, but, um, get in there. And then we turn around. I get like two hours of sleep in the hotel because I barely slept on the bus and I had to get back up and go to the field. So that's always the best uh, bus stories. Then on the other flat, on the flip side, we had uh, in Texas when I was in Texas League, in, or when I was in Arkansas, but in the Texas League, when you get to double A, they start treating you a whole lot better. We had two buses for the whole team, which was nice. You got to spread out a little bit. We had a uh, the back four rows pretty much locked down for like our little gaming center. And we had, you know, plugs and TVs set up and we had the PlayStation going and we would do FIFA tournaments and MLB, the show tournaments and stuff all in the background and having a great time. That was, that was kind of on the flip side. That was the fun stuff.
2: I feel like technology has improved. Like look at like minor leaguers 20 years ago or so. I feel like there's probably a lot of envy at all the, the, assets that the the guys now their fingertips or the traveling gaming systems or even like even like having laptops to play movies like i remember that was that was big when i was in school but uh justin Seeger that is all i've got for you thank you so much for joining for feed on the farm no,
1: that was a pleasure man i appreciate you having me out. absolutely
2: that's it for today's episode of from phenom to the farm huge thanks to justin Seeger for stopping by uh telling us about his journey go check out what he's doing over at, at blast motion really cool stuff if you enjoy the show remember subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and leave a review uh from phenom to the farm drops every two weeks on Tuesday, so we'll see you in a couple weeks and make sure to subscribe to baseballamerica.com for all amateur baseball and prospect news always a good time to be subscribed to baseball america We'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward.